I'm Peggy Hames, minister, writer, and therapist, and I'm delighted to welcome you to the community of Holy Stragglers, a place for people of faith who sometimes don't have the foggiest clue of what that means, but who are willing to hang in there and keep wondering about it. So last week, I listened to a brand new podcast by Nadia Bowles-Weber called The Confessional. And on the first episode, she interviews um, Megan Phelps. Let me make sure I get the name right. Uh, Megan Phelps Roper, who's a former member of Westboro Baptist Church. You may recognize that name. That is the church, which is really just the extended Phelps family. But it's a church that's made a name for themselves by their protest, and not just protest, but the fact that they protest at funerals. They protest at the funerals of uh, military personnel who have been killed in action. They protest at the funerals of children who have been gunned down in their schools, and their message is, Wonderful, we need more dead kids because this is God's judgment on this nation. Uh, Needless to say, not a theology that I ascribe to. But they they are really well known just for this toxic, toxic theology and abusive theology. And uh, that's, that's the world in which Megan grew up. And so as she became a young adult, she, you know, participated. She uh, was very much an advocate for this point of view. And when she discovered Twitter, her response to that was, well, great, this is a way that I can communicate our message. It's another medium for spreading our message. Well, as you might imagine, she got a lot of blowback on that that a lot of people were really angry with her, confronted her. But she said this interesting thing happened. There were some people whom she met on Twitter who didn't try to beat her over the head. What they were was they were compassionate and curious. And they asked her what it was like to be a part of that family. What was it like for her to to see these grieving families pass by and to be part of adding to their pain? They came with it with a really genuine and compassionate wanting to know who is this person beyond the caricature, beyond the the angry picture that we see on the news and the, the people that we rail against on our social media accounts. Who is this person? And she said, because of those connections, she started reading scripture with new eyes. And what she read there was not about God's wrath. And certainly wasn't God shaming. It was God's compassion and great love. And over time, she came to the point of repudiating these beliefs that she had grown up with, leaving that church, 
which also meant leaving her entire family. It's a it's a very powerful episode, and I recommend it to you. But here's the thing that that stuck out stuck out for me, and that is she she made this comment that it wasn't that the people who shamed her did not change her. Wow, that's a powerful statement. The people who shamed me did not change me. And as soon as I heard it, I thought about its application to what we do internally. You know, I have worked with and and work with and talk with uh, any number of people who struggle with shame, not only clients, but friends. And uh, let's be real, myself. You know, it's it's it is so easy to to go to that shame place for some of us, and that shame place is a place of feeling that we are are fundamentally not okay as human beings. It is not that we have done something bad. It's not that that we are wounded. It's not that we are. Um, flawed and in need of growth and change, but there is like something fundamentally in our bones bad about us, not okay with, about our being. It's it's woven into our very being. And what happens is when we have gotten messages through whatever medium that we are bad, when we have gotten those shaming messages, we internalize that. Now, for a lot of women, those shaming messages come from um, how we feel about our bodies. They come in comments about our bodies or our weight or simply our place in culture as girls. Uh, for boys, the shaming comes across uh, if they are in touch with their feelings, in touch with their emotions, if they don't um, live up to an image of this, this ma- what masculinity means, which means like not having any feelings except for anger, except when your team loses the championship game or your dog dies. Those are the only two times you're allowed to be sad. Um, yesterday, I was uh, finishing up a move, an office move, moving my counseling office from one place to another, which I did not count on doing in the middle of a pandemic, but, you know, it is what it is. As I was loading up stuff, or, or going back into the building, I guess, this, these two young guys had been also loading up a couple of trucks, and and um, their buddies were coming in at the same time. These two guys were coming out with their carts loaded up, and their buddies made some comment about, well, hey there, ladies, you know, which immediately I bristled at inside because I know even if it's said in jest, the, the kernel of that comment is meant to be a shaming one. And for a guy to call another guy a woman is by... It's very nature a shaming thing. 
So I didn't address it directly, but like the guys were saying, do we go up, you know, one flight of steps? They were on the second floor and I was on the third. Do we go up one flight of steps, take the elevator, and we're going to have to stand in the corners of the elevator to social distance? And one of the guys said, oh man, I got to take the elevator. I'd probably have a heart attack trying to go up the steps. And they were considerably younger than me as well. So we got in our respective corners in the elevator and I said, you know, just got to tell you guys, um, I've been walking up steps to third floor and carrying all this stuff out, including a solid oak four-drawer file cabinet. And they're like, oh, man, wow. And they left, and they probably thought I was crazy. But it just felt so important to me to go, no, no, you're not going to get away with that. Uh, being a woman or, or being a lady is, is not less than. But those are the things that we internalize. We internalize that we are not good enough because we are not good in the same ways as an older sibling who maybe was like really fantastic in school or fantastic on the ball field or with the, the team. And we're not. And so we internalize that it's not being good enough. It absolutely happens if we suffer abuse growing up. You know, if you are told by your family that there's just something wrong with you, that you're no good, that you will never be any good. When we are growing up, our families are the places in which we learn about the world. For the vast majority of us in our early years, they're the only context we have. And so we don't know anything else but to believe uh, believe what they tell us. So when they tell us, oh, that bright light in the sky, that's called the sun, we believe them. And when they tell us, you are no good, you are lousy, and you will never amount to anything, we believe them. And we internalize that message. Certainly that message gets grounded when we suffer other forms of abuse, physical or sexual abuse, because we internalize the the way that we're treated. Um, When I was a kid, when I was growing up, my pediatrician who... uh, Actually, back in the 60s, there was this woman pediatrician, which was, I never thought there was anything remarkable about that until I got older and and realized what a pioneer she was. But anyway, she had in the exam room this uh, little plaque, and it was the poem of children learn what they live. And it is so true that if we grow up being treated like a piece of crap, We believe that's what our worth and value is, that we are just a piece of crap. So what happens is we get all the shame, and then we beat ourselves up with it. Now, one of the things, as I'm recording this um, in our state, we are still well in the midst of uh, sheltering at home orders, and uh, life is still really strange and different. And one of the things I hear from people in all different contexts is that it's like beating ourselves up because we are not handling this more brilliantly. 
you know, that we are not the inspirational movie version of ourselves. And they'll say, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm really struggling. Well, you're really struggling because it's a tough time. You know, if you're used to going to work and having that structure, you don't have it. Your kids don't have the structure of school and classes. Your family doesn't have the structure of those kinds of schedules. And everything is harder, and you can't just go to the grocery store and wander around because there are one-way aisles now. And you got to remember where your mask is. And, golly, do they have toilet paper? <laughs> you know, it's you're struggling because it's a hard thing. It's like somebody doing the, the Ironman triathlon, the 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 biggie that's the race that's held in, in Hawaii and you have to after you have been swimming forever and after you've done like a hundred mile bike ride and then you have to run a marathon you like through the lava fields it's like somebody being right in the middle of that run going golly I must be a piece of crap because this is hard it's hard because it's a hard time. So here's my reason in going through all of this today. Is it struck me is that we shame ourselves, but that never changes us. Think about it. If you have shamed yourself, if you have beaten up on yourself, has that ever given you the energy or the inspiration to change, to do something different. Please email me at Peggy at PeggyHames.com if it has, because I want to hear. Most of the time, what happens is it takes away our energy for doing anything different. It, it, we feel like we, we don't have the capability to to change. So why bother? We're a piece of crap, so why bother trying to do anything different? When we shame ourselves, we do not change ourselves. And I want to be really clear here that God has never been about shaming people. Never, ever, ever. God, through prophets and through Jesus, may confront us, but God never, ever, ever shames us. Take Adam and Eve. They are in the Garden of Eden. They are in paradise, and they sin. They do exactly that thing that God tells them not to do. And all of a sudden, they're aware of their great vulnerability. And they are ashamed. They feel that guilt. God confronts them. There, and there are consequences for their actions. But then there's this, this beautiful picture of God sewing up some clothes for them. And I get the picture of God, you know, squinting an eye and 
kind of um, um, uh, licking God's fingers and, and rolling up the thread so you can thread the needle and whipping up some clothes out of the leaves because they realized they were naked. God said, oh, you're going to need some clothes now. Here, I'll, I got it. I got it for you. The late Warren Carr, a, a Baptist minister here in North Carolina, who actually was on my ordination council, uh, I'll never forget hearing him in a sermon. He called that God's first act of grace. But Jeremiah is, is furious, furiously gives God's message of warning and call to repentance and keeps telling them that, that they got to get their stuff together, that that just because they are God's people, they are not going to be protected from the Babylonians, and that they are not following God's way. And, and he, the prophet just really um, goes after a lot of the religious establishment who are giving false assurances of, oh, this is God's temple. God's not going to let anything happen to his temple. We're good. We are so good, people. Do not listen to Jeremiah over here. Um, And I have to tell you, I've thought about Jeremiah a little bit lately when I hear preachers say, oh, we can get together and have worship in person because God's going to protect us from the virus. Oh, my. So anyway, what happens is... Jerusalem is indeed overrun by the Babylonians. And the temple is absolutely destroyed and people are taken into exile. Now, after this happens, and this happens in the midst of of the book of Jeremiah, incidentally, Rembrandt has this really moving painting of Jeremiah And he's sitting there, and just the look in his eyes, you can see the pain that's there. So after this happens, you would expect for the prophet to be going, "Uh uh-huh, told you so, this is what you deserve, this is what you get, you didn't listen to me, told you this was going to come. No, no, God does not give that message. If you read the latter chapters of Jeremiah, it is absolutely tender. Just like in the latter chapters of Isaiah, it is absolutely tender of God saying, My word, no, I am not going to forget you. Can a woman forget the baby she gave birth to? Uh Uh-uh. I can't forget you either. I will carry you. I... I love you. Over and over again, God says, I love you. Not, you worthless piece of crap. You got what you you deserve. No. I love you. You are mine. And you never stop being mine. Jesus, throughout his ministry, did not shame people. He confronted them. And he confronted the religious folks more than any other. 
and he challenged them and he called people out to follow him, to live more faithful lives. But he never, ever shamed them. And the people who were being shamed, he reaches out to them. He embraces them. The woman caught in the act of adultery, she was, they were getting ready to stone her with their, their shaming of her. Actually stone her. And he said, no. Listen, if you have never, ever done anything wrong, go ahead and throw that stone. Of course, nobody could. And then he gives her grace. When we shame ourselves, we do not change ourselves. And we do not we, we, we do not echo God's word to us. So I hope in these days, when you are tempted to shame yourself for not being good enough, for not being brilliant enough, for not being, I am surviving, sheltering at home, and I'm learning six languages, and I am weaving the cloth from which I will make my children's clothes and growing the crops to feed my family. And here I've got some sheep and some goats and some cows too, so we're set. No, when you are tempted to shame yourself and to tell yourself how worthless you are, remember two things. First of all, shaming yourself does not change yourself. And things are never going to get any better for you as long as you hold on to that and hold on to that as truth and gospel. And secondly, that absolutely is not gospel. Because God's first and last word to us is always love. And in between that first and last word is the blessing of our precious, beautiful selves. Thanks for joining me today. If you want to read my blog or find out more about me, you're welcome to go to heartcallings.com. That's heartcallings.com. And if you want to enter into more conversation about this, I encourage you to join my Heart Callings group on Facebook. I'll be glad to, to see you there and to enjoy some more conversation about this and other stuff. I'll see you next time.